We left in April of 2020. Uh, so let's look at that. Matthew 18, starting in verse 21. Verse 21 to 35. Matthew 18, 21 to 20, 35. Please give your attention to the reading of God's holy word. Then Peter came up and said to him, to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, and his wife and his children, and all that he had to be uh, all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Out of the pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him his debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will repay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to the master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailer until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from the heart. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, Lord, as we come to your word, we confess our need, we confess our desire. Lord, we want to hear from you. Uh, We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts, each one of us, where we are, what we need to hear individually, but also as a community. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, First, before I I, I jumped over this in my notes, I want to celebrate something as a family. This happened a few weeks ago, and this is actually where this has happened a few times recently, but we have uh, another couple of kids who have recently been confirmed in their faith. I don't know if that's a phrase that means anything to you, but in churches where, like ours, where we baptize infants, right, Uh, when our children grow up, they have the opportunity to say, this this faith, I believe. It's not just my parents' faith, it's my, my faith, and we call that confirmation. Um, and uh, when a child does that and meets with the pastor or some of the elders with their parents, and, and we ask them some questions and we confirm their faith and they're let to the table, and uh, I want to celebrate Grant and Thomas Fortson. They did that recently. Let's celebrate them. Um, you know, we talk a lot about mission, and, and that's a good thing, that God has sent us here, and we want the gospel to go out. We want our neighbors to hear 
the gospel and, and come to faith, but we also want to celebrate that God builds and sustains his church from within, from, from the children of, of his children. And so we celebrate with the Fortsons and with all of our families whose children are growing up. We're, our church is 11 years old. We've, we've seen some kids born and grow and now confirm their faith. It's beautiful. All right, back to our, back to our sermon passage here. All right. Um, So we're coming back to Matthew in the middle of chapter 18. Chapter 18 through 20, so these uh, three chapters, 18, 19, and 20, some call this the Little Sermon on the Mount. If you're familiar with the Gospel of Matthew, probably the most famous passage of Matthew, maybe one of the most famous passages in the New Testament, is the Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Some call 18, 19, and 20 the little sermon on the mount or the sermon on community because in these three chapters, Jesus is teaching on the moral implications, the ethical implications of the gospel. In other words, we receive the gospel, we become children of God by grace through faith, through nothing that we do ourselves, and yet... Jesus expects and God expects that when we become members of his family, members of his community, that that gospel will change us. We will act differently. We will make different choices. And so in these chapters, he lays out for us, what does that look like? What does God desire from his children? And in some ways, this is an inherent tension in Christianity and in the gospel, right? On the one hand, as I said, the offer, the free offer of the gospel is for everyone, that that we can all be forgiven of our sins, and we'll talk about that, out of nothing that we do, simply by asking for God's forgiveness through repentance. But, as we'll see in our passage this morning, God does expect, require, desire something out of us as implications of the gospel. As Jesus said to his disciples in John 13, he said, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. This is how my disciples show themselves to be disciples, by loving one another. Now just before our passage here in Matthew 18, also in Matthew 18, it's that famous passage where Jesus teaches about conflict and how to deal with sin within a community. Uh, and basically, he teaches on a love that confronts, right? We don't just allow sin to run rampant in the community. If we love one another, we, we love one another enough to go and have a hard conversation and maybe involve the community if necessary. Today, Jesus is going to teach us uh, about the love that forgives, Forgiveness is a key marker of Christianity, and so it's a key marker of the Christian community and God's people. In the parable today, Jesus' Jesus parable today comes, as many of them do, as a response to a question. You, You heard me read that question from the apostle Peter. He comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, how often am I to forgive my brother or sister when they sin against me. And just a side note, sort of historically in Judaism at this time, three was the magic number. There's a couple Old Testament passages which says, you know, for three sins and for four, God will do whatever. And so in common rabbinic wisdom, uh, if you forgave someone three times, you had reached righteousness. And after that, you could write them off. (laughs) You know, like no more forgiveness for you. Man, three times. Are you kidding me? Um, 
But here, Peter comes, he, he's been paying attention, he's been following Jesus. He knows, first of all, that forgiveness is important, but he takes the common Jewish number, he doubles it, and then he adds one, right? Seven times? I mean, Peter, yeah, I'm reading this in totally, but Peter's like, Jesus, seven times? Aren't I righteous? And then, of course, as Jesus always does, he surprises Peter. He surprises his disciples with something they never expected. No, not seven times, Peter, although that's a great number. It's 70 times seven. Actually, it's infinite, if you really want to know. How often do I desire, expect, command you to forgive your brothers and sisters from the heart? It's infinite. And then he tells this parable. So, three things I want us to see from this. There's so much here. We, there's no way we have time to, to unpack this parable fully. So, three things I want you to see this morning. What this parable teaches about sin. What this t- parable teaches about grace. And what this parable teaches about forgiveness in kingdom community. So, first, what does this parable teach us about sin? Jesus begins, the kingdom of heaven can be compared with a king. I don't want you to miss that. As Jesus teaches this parable, it's, it's particularly, it's not, the whole, it's not just the story, but it's the king himself. The king embodies the ethics of the kingdom community, of the kingdom of God himself. So what do we learn as we observe the king? The king wished to settle accounts with his servants. So, that, so this king, and this, this would not be unusual, people would come to the king and they would borrow money for the king. They'd need it for crops or crop failure or something, and the people would become indebted to the king, and at times those debts would uh, come due, and that's what's happening here. The, the king calls all of his servants to settle their accounts, and we're told of one who is called to, before the king, and he, is, he owes 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. That sounds like a lot, doesn't it? How much is a talent? This is, this is where, you know, sometimes we need Bible translations or notes in there that, that say, like, this is a big deal. So one talent, how much is one talent? One talent, this is a weight of measurement, a, a weight, monetary weight. One talent was equivalent to about 20 years of labor. Okay, so start doing some math in your head. 20 years, how much money do you make in a year? Even if you're, you know, lower middle class, maybe, you know, maybe you're a blue-collar worker, multiply your annual salary by 20 years. That's one talent. (laughs) He owed 10,000 talents. Okay, what is Jesus communicating here? If I were to translate this, if this was like, you know, the message and I was translating it into the vernacular and we were actually doing some math here, we would say a servant was called before the king and he owed the king $6 billion. But really what, what you're supposed to read here is he owed the king a zillion million. I think, what does my son say? Quazillion? It's a quazillion dollars. Right? It's the monet- It's just, it's out of this world. It is an unpayable debt. So the point here isn't really to calculate a sum it's just, as Jesus tells, like his, the listeners would probably have just laughed. 
<laughs> 10,000 talents, one person. Like, that's like a, a small nation state, you know, would owe that kind of debt. But what's, what's fascinating, of course, in the story is the servant falls down on his knees to this astronomical amount. He doesn't, notice, he doesn't ask for the debt to be forgiven, but he asks for patience, that he would have time to pay it off. But really, what we find as we work through the parable is understanding that this, this number, this interaction, this, this parable is about sin and the forgiveness of God. And so what Jesus is communicating here is, as one commentator put it, no, there is no human being who has not amassed an unpayable debt before God. So this isn't a particularly bad servant. This is, a, this is a representative servant. This is us. And the hearers, we are this servant. And what Jesus is communicating in this parable about sin is that every human being owes God an immeasurable debt. An immeasurable debt. Now, now we need to, we're not going to camp out here too long, but I do want us to, to stop and sit in this for a moment, because this is not often how we think of ourselves, right? When we think of ourselves, even as Christians, and this, this parable is written to Christians, this is written to believers, members of the kingdom community, so those who have received the grace and forgiveness of God, even when we sin, right, we sin in context. Well, yes, I lied, but that person is a jerk, I mean, yes, I cheated on my taxes, but God knows I need that money to feed my children. When we sin, we put it in some kind of context, right? We, we always give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. And yet God, the holy God, he is, bl- he is blind justice incarnate. and He tells us the truth. And again, notice this is Jesus himself, the Lord of love. The debt we owe to God in terms of sin, is astronomical. And in fact, it's beyond our understanding. That's why Jesus tells it this way. How much do we as sinners owe to God? It is beyond human capacity. And, and it, it echoes what Paul teaches in Romans chapter 3. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So what does this parable teach us about sin? What the rest of the Bible and the rest of the New Testament does, which is that each and every human being stands before God with an incalculable and unpayable debt to sin. And I think it's good for us to remember that, that Jesus teaches us this. But second, what does this parable teach us about grace? This is the second unbelievable part of the parable, if we take it at face value, this this king is saying, you, servant, individual, you owe me 10,000 times 20 years worth of, of debt. And yet, as this servant falls on his knees before God and pleads for patience and mercy, what does the king do? Three things. He takes pity on the servant. He releases him from his bond, and he forgives the debt. Again, we just need to sit in that. I think as Christians, even, we can read over these things and just be like, isn't God great? Aren't our sins forgiven? 
I mean, this is, this is unbelievable. This is irrational. This is irresponsible. And yet this is what Jesus is teaching. We don't know why this guy has amassed all this debt. We don't know what he's done with it. But what, all we're told is that when this servant falls on his knees and asks for forgiveness, for God's mercy, God gives it to him in full So again, the gospel teaches us that we have amassed this immeasurable debt to God and our sin that we could never pay back. And yet the good news of the gospel, what Jesus came to proclaim, is that God offers all people forgiveness, reconciliation, to stand before God free of that debt. Have you ever felt the weight of crushing debt, like real debt, credit card debt, or some kind of other debt, and and feeling the creditors breathing down your neck and not knowing where that money's going to come from? Well, maybe maybe you haven't experienced that, but, but maybe you know that more common experience, that dread, maybe as a youngest child, this this phrase, wait till your father gets home. That still, that still causes me some anxiety. To be caught red-handed, to be caught and know that justice is coming, that is a terrible feeling. A terrible feeling to know that, yeah, justice is coming and you deserve it. And if all things work out as they should, you should receive what's coming to you. And yet, what a relief to feel freed, to to feel a door open, a way out, a way out from that crushing weight, that that condemnation that we deserve, right? On some level, this hangs over every human being born into this world. All who have descended from our first parents were born under a curse, born infected with sin, And so if you've never received the grace of God, hear this invitation this morning that though we all stand condemned before a holy God, this is the message of the gospel that Jesus came to proclaim. Simply come to the Father and ask for forgiveness for the sake of Christ, and it is yours. I invite you to do that even this morning and to feel that incredible relief, that incredible joy of knowing that we can stand before a righteous and holy God completely free of worry. Not just free of worry, but but full of love. We turn from this condemned criminal into a son or a daughter of God who loves us, who is willing to give himself for us. This is why we worship. In fact, I was just noting the the couple songs we've already sung, they, they capture this idea so well. Lord, I am unworthy of your love, and yet you have given it to me in Christ. And not just if if you've never received it, yes, receive it this morning, but even if you're here this morning and you're a child of God, you you are a Christian, this this is our joy. (laughs) And every day is an opportunity for us to remember the grace of God and to give thanks. This is why we come and worship on a regular basis to say, thank you, God, though I deserved the wrath of God, 
and the fires of hell for all eternity. Yet what we await is the joy of heaven and full reconciliation and relationship with the God of heaven for all eternity. Amen? Amen. Now, think about this, just a, a last point on this second one. This parable talks about this one servant's sin and calls it 10,000 talents worth. What does that mean that Christ's death on the cross purchased? Not just one life, but the lives of all of God's people. Hundreds and thousands. It's, in, again, incalculable what the death of Christ on the cross did. And it is, it is right and good for us, brothers and sisters, to sit in awe of the cross and of our Lord Jesus Christ and what he did in that moment beyond our full comprehension and yet we can grasp on some level. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Okay, third, this parable teaches teaches us about forgiveness in the kingdom community. And really, this is the point of the parable. So we've come here <laughs> to the point, right? This, the most of the parable is left. What are we told in verses 28 through the end? This is the third unbelievable thing that, has, that happens in our parable. This servant has been forgiven this incredible debt, $6 billion. And he turns and he's leaving the courtroom. And he happens to see a fellow servant who's walking into the courtroom and he says, hey, you owe me money. And the text says it's, it's 100 denarii. And so this is, this is basically one day's labor. You know, there's, it's 2,000 years ago. We're not, some say it's a few hundred dollars. Say, some say it might be a couple thousand dollars. But, but the point, the contrast here is clear, right? I've been forgiven $6 billion. You owe me $500. And we would think, oh, well, surely this is going to rub off. This is going to have an effect. And yet we're appalled. We're outraged that this servant, it, it basically replays. You know, the language is the same. He, he grabs the servant. He chokes the servant. He says, pay what you owe me. And he, he falls down and he begs for time, patience to pay him back. But the servant refuses, has him thrown into prison until he can pay back his debt and debtor's prison. And I think there's an element here of the, the story of David and Nathan, if, if you're familiar with that in the Old Testament. Dave, uh, Nathan tells David this, this story about this rich guy who steals his poor neighbor's sheep. You know, his neighbor has one sheep and the neighbor has all the sheep and David is rightly enraged. And he's like, and he's like I'm the king and I'm going to bring justice. And then Nathan turns the tables and he says, you are the man. Right, you stole another man's wife, and David is cut to the heart. And I think we are meant to read this story and be outraged and say, I can't believe this guy would do something so outrageous. And then we pause. <laughs> and then we say, wait, is this me? Have I been forgiven by God $6 billion worth of sin, something I could never have repaid? And yet how... How am I treating my brothers and sisters in the community? How do I treat my neighbor? Am I this guy? Hmm. I think that's a question we're supposed to ask. 
how often am I this man? How often am I this woman? You know, Jesus taught this to the Pharisees. Uh, He said, he who is forgiven little loves little. And so when we forget, when we let slide the incredible love and forgiveness we have received in Christ, we will turn around and we will forgive little. And so this, this, is, the question, this is an application question. Am, am I struggling with forgiveness? In your day-to-day life, over the last few days, over the last few weeks, over the last few years, what has your heart looked like in terms of forgiveness? And this isn't just like, am I a nice southern genteel person who like doesn't bring up things, <laughs> and I'm not rude to people. I'm always nice to their face. This is a heart-level forgiveness. Jesus closes the parable by saying, and so my Father will do to you unless you forgive your brothers and sisters from the heart. And this is real forgiveness. This is real wrong, right? When, when we are truly sinned against, when we are truly wronged, when I am truly wronged, what happens? My righteousness rises up. My, my desire for justice comes up and says, they deserve punishment. And guess what? I'm right. We are right when we are truly wronged. And yet Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's teaching us and saying, this is a mark of my community. This is a mark of God, God's heart of forgiveness. We truly wronged him to an amount we can't comprehend, and yet he forgave us from his heart. He loves us as his children. And so now, as his children, we are to go and do likewise. Forgiveness is a mark of the kingdom of God and a mark of God's kingdom people. And so Matthew presents this, Jesus presents this as a warning in fact, this warning is echoed in the Lord's Prayer. I don't know, it's, it's one of those things. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors or, or those who trespass against us. Interesting, the way he phrases that. Forgive us, Lord, as. Not, not you've forgiven us and so we're going to go forgive others. He's, he's saying what Jesus is saying here. That we are to forgive because we are forgiven, and God will not forgive us if we fail to forgive others. Now, that's an inherent paradox, isn't it? Isn't Christianity that we are forgiven by grace through faith in Christ? Yes, absolutely. Are we supposed to do anything to earn God's love and forgiveness? No. No, we're not. And yet Jesus teaches us that when we have truly received his forgiveness, truly received salvation, there will be a change in us. And so we can rightly ask ourselves the question, do I reflect my Father's, my Lord's forgiving heart? If not, I really need to do some soul searching. I really need to remember. I need to run to the throne of grace and remember what I have been forgiven And yes, I need to move out into the world seeking to obey and follow and imitate my Lord who forgave me. So that's the warning, but there's also the positive. There's a positive way of expressing this message 
which is just as good and resounds just as strongly. We read it in our remembrance of the law. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted to one another, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let us forgive one another, brothers and sisters, but not as a rote command. None of us have it within ourselves to just go out and be forgiving people. None of us. But that's why God put himself in us. He indwelled us all with the Holy Spirit. And by the power of the Spirit, each and every one of us, if we are a disciple of Christ, a Christian, we can forgive others from the heart. And we can reflect God's heart and be the community that Jesus longs to see in us. And haven't we all been impacted by the incre- some incredible story of forgiveness? I mean, we, we may all have our own story. I remembered, uh, as I was writing the ser- sermon, I, I remembered an incident, I think it was about 15 years ago. There was a, a mass school shooting in an Amish community. It was a one-room schoolhouse up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Lancaster. We used to live up there, and I, it's hard for me to... Lancaster. Um, a man went into the, the schoolhouse, barred the door, killed five children, injured five children, and then killed himself. It was absolutely atrocious. And I, I looked up an article, um, wanted to remind myself of it, because what stood out, what was reported was this atrocious, this despicable act, and yet the Amish community as a whole said publicly and to this shooter's family that we forgive you. We forgive him and we forgive you. And it was, it was just, you put yourself in that position and you say, could I do that? But I went and I looked up an article on this and it was from the perspective 10 years later from the, fam- the shooter's family, mother and father. And the mother recounts that on the day that it happened and she found out uh, that her son was the shooter, she, she went to be with her husband and the local sheriff, and her husband said to her, I can never face, I'll never be able to face my Amish neighbors again. They were so ashamed, they couldn't imagine ever looking one of their Amish neighbors in their eyes. And sort of in their grief and in their shame, they planned a private funeral just for themselves and just for their son. But she recounts that as they arrived at the funeral, at the gravesite, they saw as many as 40 Amish starting to come out from around the sides of the graveyard, surrounding them like a crescent. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that family's experience? The shame that they felt that their son that they raised did this incredible atrocity. They felt that shame and that evil on themselves. And yet the people from that community, within the short span of time that it would take to have that funeral, they came to that funeral not to jeer, not to ridicule, not to condemn, but to love. And to show with their bodies forgiveness. And I stand in awe. I stand in awe because in that moment you see the heart of God. They don't deserve this love. These families would be understandable if they never forgave them or if it took them decades. 
And yet because of their faith in Christ, because of their understanding of the the forgiveness they had received in Christ, they could come and surround this family. And in this article that takes place 10 years later, it says that, that this husband and wife, these parents, now have are deeply connected with this Amish community. It wasn't a one-time event. Ten years later, they are deeply bound up in this Amish community. In fact, one of the Amish fathers said, we would never, ever have wanted this to happen. And yet the connections, the relationships that God has borne out of this, we also honor and give thanks for. They could see the grace of God at work in that terrible tragedy. Beloved, this is the heart of God. And this is the heart of God seen in the heart of his people. And this is what God is calling us to. Yes, in these incredible life-altering events, but also in the small day today. Someone cutting you off on the highway, your neighbor being rude to you, your spouse offending you. Forgiveness. It's a mark of God's people. It's a mark of the kingdom community. And as we struggle with forgiveness, and we will, let us go to the throne of grace. Let us remember week in and week out what God has forgiven us in Christ and meditate on what our Lord Jesus Christ was willing to do to go through that we might be forgiven. And then let us go and follow Christ and forgive one another from the heart. Amen. Our Father in heaven, Lord, the weight of your forgiveness is actually uncomfortable. Lord, we stand in awe of your love for us. And we stand in awe of your love when it is seen through your people. And we ask, we desire that you would let that love shine in and through us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.